0: Well, here we go. So, I have a lot to fill you in on here. So, these last 72 hours have been some of the most unusual, roller coaster like, um, I would even say disorienting, and unsettling hours um, of our lives, really. It's kind of an unprecedented thing. And so graduations, weddings, proms, trips, like things that are really like deeply meaningful, like rites of passage, like some of those things aren't even going to happen. College sports that have been canceled, entire industries that have grinded to a halt. And then there's all the supply chains that, that, that really supply those things, um, even some of us already have lost income here in this room. And the truth is, I don't think any of us knows uh, what the next two months is gonna look like. We really don't. And so um, we know that that's stressful. We know that there's anxiety. That comes with that. Um, So we wanted to tell you, like, as a leadership team, us also, like, we have been on a roller coaster, too, with constantly shifting sand underneath us. Um, At one point, we weren't sure whether we'd even be able to meet publicly. So we've just, you know, one minute we're doing this, and the next minute, and then it just changes, constantly, rapidly changing. And so... Our plan was to have a congregational meeting where we would talk through uh, this incredible offer of this church building that has been offered to us, and we were going to do that on March 22nd, okay? Um, And so with all of this happening within the last 72 hours, we felt like, well, we should move that up because we may not even be able to meet publicly, okay? So even since then, that has changed. And so let me just give you just a general summary, um, so you kind of are caught up to speed if you weren't here this this past Sunday. We have been offered a church and a fellowship hall, okay, in the Milk District, okay? So Uh, which is just a really cool section of town, which is not very far from here. And then, that will be right in the middle of a brand new neighborhood, which is going to be built by Lennar Homes, which is the biggest home builder in the States. So, we are going to be handed a deed for a $1.5 to $2 million asset after its closing, okay? And if that's not all, then those that have helped make this happen have offered a $250,000 like, lead gift for the renovation of the buildings. So there's the church sanctuary and then a fellowship hall. Now, this is an incredible thing. I have been talking with pastors and leaders downtown whose jaws just drop when they hear this opportunity that we have and that is that is incredible so it's been a really long process really for the last few months Um, what we've done we've met with our leaders twice all together we've toured the building Uh, we have had tons of individual conversations with people. We've done surveys asking for input and feedback. We've invited all of our leaders to list out their concerns and questions, uh, objections, all of those things we've discussed at length. As a pastoral and leadership team, we too had major questions and reservations initially. So we have been in like full-scale research, re, research and question-asking mode. So we've used these colors red, yellow, and green to delineate how we've been feeling about the project. And for me personally, it's been a slow process of moving from red to yellow to green, and now after all of our discussions, all of our meetings, all of our research, all of us on the pastoral team are green. Like, we're ready to go. And this, is not an over, this was not an overnight process, okay? For me, I was initially just red and scared, um, <clears throat> but also knew this could be incredible. We just need to ask a lot of questions. So we've met with the city planner. Uh, The city planner has met with the district council person. We've met with the president of the milk district. We've met with members of the um, community and the neighbors that are all surrounding that property. Everybody is totally stoked about this project. Everybody. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. To hear the president of the Milk District just address all the neighbors and say, we could have had somebody come in and just level the land, not take any, like just not care about what's going on here and make their money. And yet we have somebody preserving the church and then building this neighborhood and inviting the neighbors in and asking them for their input on that. It's just been a really neat process. And so... They're all excited about it. At one point with one of our meetings, um, by the end, one of the neighbors was like, this just sounds amazing. Is there any way, I know it's your church, but could you put an ice cream shop in it if you could? Just for all of us. And I was like, hey, I'm up for that. Let's do it, you know? And so, um, so here was the plan. The plan was for us... Um, to fill you in in detail on all of those meetings and then go through all of the renderings, uh, the neighborhood drawings, everything in detail for like 35 minutes or so this morning. And here's why is we wanted you all to be in the loop and get your input as the closing date was scheduled for March 31st, which that's only like 17 days from now. And then we would take possession immediately after that, okay? Well, that was 72 hours ago, okay, before all kinds of things changed, and there's been all kinds of insanity in so many, in so many areas. Um, even in the last 24 hours, wisdom says that we need to just assume that this process even though it was going full speed ahead, is going to slow down some, okay? We don't know what is gonna happen in the next two to eight weeks. Many industries have already kind of grinded to a halt, and so we think that this for sure, well, potentially can change the timing of this. With a project like this, it involves lenders and builders and develop developers and all of them now are experiencing something that they didn't plan on either. So they're going to be slowing things down to respond to the market market to evaluate where they're at. And so the developers really wanted us to wait on just unveiling everything until they have more information as things, you know, are are so just shifting so quickly here. So, um, the timing, I have to admit, for me, you know, um, one of the things that we're going to have to pray for, and I know for me, is just patience during this time. Because I got to tell you, my excitement level over the last few weeks has started to get crazy, okay? In talking with people and hearing everybody just say, oh my gosh, can we be a part of that? You know, oh, and so, um, we're ready to roll. I'm ready to roll. And so, everybody worldwide is going to be slowing down here. So, we're sorry that we're not, uh, we're, we're not going to unveil all those things this morning. But we really want to honor what the developers have asked. And that is just to hold off. Okay? So, um, we have a ton to pray about to hope for and trust God for, okay? First, that obviously this, this um, virus like curve, as they say, gets flattened quickly for the good of our nation and for those that are compromised and those that are vulnerable. For the hospital and medical workers, there's a bunch of you in here also. And for what you're going to be up against and dealing with in the next two months. Um, and then all the businesses and individuals and their incomes that are tied to those supply chains, like there is a lot that is just going to be stretching people. If there's any time like for the gospel, for us to speak that to one another, gosh, um, this is one of those times. And so um, we're going to need to to really trust God together as a church, to trust and really pray for patience in this unknown period. Um, Patience is going to be a big thing for us. So instead this morning, um, we're going to focus on the Lord. We're going to focus on His Word. We are going to revisit all of this as soon as we can. As soon as we can, trust me, we will. Okay? I have all this stuff prepared. I'm all ready to go. We've just got to hold on the presents. It's like Christmas morning, but we have to wait. Okay? Um, and truly, at this time, you know, along with what John is going to be sharing and our, our, this series, we're going to really need to ask for God's grace to elevate above like the fear and the worry and the anxiety that we are going to be surrounded with and that we are going to be personally challenged with and just trusting and elevating, knowing that his sovereignty, like that hasn't changed. His character hasn't changed and that he's trustworthy. So, John, on to you. get too close to the mic. No, I'm just saying, don't, don't get too close to that mic I did
1: not I'm fine, thank you. It's been exciting for me to see uh, Jim's engine rev. I remember being in a meeting with him, and I could tell he was getting really excited. And I said, do you guys, you guys hear that? Do you hear that engine revving outside somewhere? And he didn't catch what I was saying, but it's like, dude, it's you. You're getting really fired up. Um, two points of business here before I jump in. Uh, first for our email, I know it's already been said, but if you're new to us, please sign up for our email so we can communicate to you. And then secondly, a shameless plug for my blog. Um, if we do end up slowing down uh, our Sunday attendance, I, I just I feel like I've gotten in a groove. And I love sharing my spiritual journey with everyone else. And so if you just write blog on the blue card, then uh, I'll get you connected. I wanted to share what this last week has been like for me. We began this series uh, called Elevate with this thought that we need to move out of the valley of despair, move out of the valley of uncertainty, and elevate our game and believe that God is as big as He says He actually is. That's, that's where we began. I ended the teaching on the promises of God. Rick Sodas came up to me, and I don't want to like share his story at this point, but they've kind of had a miracle baby. And so Rick shares with me, I want to share about our miracle baby next Sunday. It's like, this is awesome. I'm going to speak about Abraham who got a miracle baby right after Rick shares his story. High fives, hugs. We were still hugging back then, a (laughs) week ago. And it's like, awesome. Then a few days later, as Jim has shared, as a leadership team, it's like, wait a minute. With all the anxiety that's going on, we need to move our meeting up. And so, great. And that's where we were throughout much of the week. And then the landscape began to shift again. So, when we made the decision for me to teach, uh, I literally was sitting in a plane, about to take off, To come back here, and I'm texting people back and forth when the decision is made okay, John's back up and teaching. And I made a decision. I hadn't, I've been up in North Carolina all week with my mom, and I had a date night planned with my wife. And with all the anxiety and pressure, and I need to pull together a teaching, I decided something that I'm not used to doing as well as I'm doing now. I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to go spend time with my wife. So yeah, it was a wonderful time. Do not think for one second I don't have a message. I do, and it's very clear and on my heart. But I may not be quite as polished as I normally am. I may not be quite as funny as I always am. <laughs> I got to laugh. All right, good. Uh, I wasn't sure if it would. Um, So we've gone from plan A, plan B, plan C. uh, And at, at the end of the week, while I'm sitting on the plane, I remembered something. It's like, wait a minute. The Abraham story is about fear. And it's about anxiety. And it's about the temptation to take matters into our own hands And behind the curtain is this God who is doing amazing things. Maybe we should just look at Abraham. And so that's what I want to do this morning. Before I do so, can I just lift up this congregation and our world in prayer? Okay? Great God, we thank you that you are sovereign. We thank you that you're trustworthy. There is no dark side to you. There is no part of your character that is anything less than good, less than faithful, less than reliable. We bring to you all of our cares, all of our concerns, whether it's about our own finances or the finances of people we care about or the health or the mental anxiety behind all of this and we rest in you here today. We do pray that you would give this nation wisdom in how to handle this crisis. We do pray for those that are vulnerable. We do pray for our own hearts as we navigate this unprecedented crisis. We lift all these things up to you and we pray that you would speak to us today that we would not just read ancient words, but that they would penetrate, that they would come powerfully and with great destruction of our fears and anxieties, that we could live with freedom and hope and joy in the midst of a panicked world. So we lift up this 30 minutes and we ask you to speak through me and despite me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, Some of you probably know this story really well, Uh, and some of you, it might be the first time that you're hearing it. Either way, I hope it is very helpful to you. We've been talking about the promises of God, and we're going to look at a promise made to Abraham and his wife, and more importantly, how it rolled out, how it Out so first the vastness, the vastness of the promise. What I'm going to share with you is you're sitting in this room here today because of a promise made thousands of years ago to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, "Go from your country." And your kindred, I'm going to come back to that point late in the teaching, and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great. Abraham has a great name, right? Remember that song some of us, the few of you that were brought up churched, Father Abraham, maybe we could tie that into the worship later, no? (laughs) No, that's right. His name is great. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is called the beginning of redemptive history. And so last week, we talked about these different dimensions of time, God's great story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration Creation is God made this world that we walk through, everything in it, from little birds to black holes. He designed it all. Fall is that sin entered this world, and that's why our world is such a broken place. Redemption came through Jesus Christ on the cross, but God began to drop little hints about what was to come beginning with this verse right here in Genesis chapter 12. Because when you get to the New Testament, Paul looks back on this promise. And here in a little bit, we'll see that God showed Abraham all the stars in the sky. And Paul in the New Testament comes along and he says, you know, all those stars in the sky, the descendants that God promised to Abraham. If you're a person of faith in Jesus, that's you and me. We are part of the fulfillment of this promise that God made to Abraham thousands of years ago. I just want you to imagine this conversation with me. Do you think Abram had insecurities? Was that really God? Did God God just speak to me? What do I say to my wife? What am I going to tell her? Can you imagine this conversation? Hey, uh, Sarah, I was thinking about relocating. What do you think about us just moving? Where? Uh, I'm not really sure where we're going to move to. Why am I thinking this? Uh, Okay, I got to come clean here. Uh, God told me to move. No, he did not say where to move to. No, I did not get into the new wine. That didn't happen. Did God say anything else? Uh, yeah, just this little thing about God blessing all the families of the earth through me. That's it. Can you imagine? What, I mean, how would you respond to that if your spouse said that? All the families of the earth, blessed. It's amazing. The vastness of this promise. That there would be a descendant of Abraham through whom the entire world would be blessed. It's absolutely crazy. And imagine this promise being passed on from generation to generation through oral tradition. Abraham's son, Isaac, was told about this promise. Isaac told his family, the next family, the next family. Can you imagine hearing this story about Father Abraham. Nice guy, Abraham. Except when he began to talk about that God stuff. He was a little unhinged. I mean, not all the pistons were firing. God's going to bless the entire world through our little family line. Kind of unbelievable. That's the vastness of the promise that God made. Here's the second thing, and perhaps the main thing I want to draw our attentions to our attention to is called Tent Theology. Tent Theology. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, for I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So what was Abram feeling at this moment? Fear. The great man of God was afraid. It didn't make any sense to him. Time has passed. He's not had a descendant yet. How is God going to do what God has promised to do? I don't get it. I can't see with my eyes how you're going to come through for me. I don't see. You can feel free to imagine in your mind and connect this straight to our church situation because the connection's pretty strong, right? I don't understand how you're going to bless Orlando through this little people group. I don't I can't connect those dots. He is feeling afraid. Ten years have gone by. Can you imagine this where God spoke a promise and it's like, yeah, but that was a long time ago, dude. Ten years have gone by and it's purposeful. Verse two, Abram said, "O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. I don't have any offspring, so I don't get how your promise is going to happen. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. That is, one of my servants is going to inherit. And I read this, and I look at a man that is discouraged. I look at and see a man that is losing hope. I just don't get it. I can't connect all these dots. I'm not sure how this is going to roll out. Verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. I just want to encourage you guys as we read Scripture... To trust that God's word is living and alive, and every single word of it has power. God took him outside, therefore, where was he? Inside. Inside in his tent. And God took him outside, showed him the stars in the heaven, to help him lift his eyes off of his own inabilities and weakness and impotence to see the beauty and the power and the wonder of God. And the reason I label this tenth theology is because I have spent much of my life, I would say my entire faith journey, until about a week ago, with this whole building thing and the fears that I have experienced and God is beginning to work deep in my spirit. God is beginning to work deep in my heart and say, John, come outside of that tent of your abilities and your limitations and your weaknesses and your struggles and you lift your eyes onto me, the creator, the God who has no limits. I ask us today... To begin to move out of a tent theology into the fear-producing fear but fear-relieving wildness of trusting God. Are you all with me on this? God wants to move us out from under the tent. This is the exact opposite of what we have all been taught and what we all believe. We all believe blessing is based on our abilities and our skills and our personality and our charisma and our advertising and our money and all of these other things. And God is communicating, no, your confidence, your swagger, your courage should be based entirely on me. I invite you into this. I believe God is inviting us out of tent theology to stand underneath the stars, the beauty and the power of who he is. Verse 6, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This verse is picked up in the New Testament as an image of salvation. If you know Jesus Christ, you began with your faith journey by bringing what to the table? What good works did you bring to this table Called salvation? None. You know what you brought to the table for this relationship with God? Nothing but your sin. Isn't that mind blowing? And this image of looking up at the stars, or in our case, looking up at the cross and saying, I got nothing. You got it all. That's the image of salvation. That's the image here of receiving from God. So let us be done with our tent theology. Let us pray together and ask God, move in my heart. Move in my heart. Every single person in this room is looking at circumstances in our life. We all know that. We all know that. Can you trust God not only for your own heart, but for the people you care about? People that feel depleted. People whose spiritual life is struggling. Can you believe that God can move on them? Can you begin to pray for them? Can we... Come together as a community and trust God. Third thing is a fun little tangent that I want to take us on. It's called the God who sees, the God who sees me. This the story's about to get weird. All right, y'all ready for this? It's going to get like totes weird. Um, so everything that the Bible records is not what God endorses. God never endorsed slavery. But slavery was a common condition back in the day. Abraham and Sarah, the examples of faith, had slaves. And they had this weird ancient custom that if someone was barren, you ready? Are you guys, are you ready for this? If someone was barren, the slave could be offered in hopes of obtaining a child through the slave. And that's what Sarah suggests to Abraham. Why don't you take my slave Hagar, and perhaps we will gain children through her? It's weird. It's this totally weird, weird story. But she becomes pregnant. And the story begins to go downhill because Sarah is not happy with Hagar and Hagar is not happy with Sarah and there's this, all this tension and so Hagar, the slave, runs away. And she's on her own in the desert thinking she is about to die of thirst. And God sends a messenger to meet her. And he promises her You're not forgotten. In fact, the son in your womb, Ishmael, is going to become a great nation. And this man will be a wild donkey of a man and will set his face against the descendant of Abram. It's one of these weird things about the story because the descendant of Abraham is the nation of Israel and the descendant of Ishmael or the descendant of Hagar, Ishmael, becomes the Arab nations. And you all know, if you've ever looked at the Middle East, there's like constant war between them. Just like this text said would happen. It's crazy. But there's this encounter between the messenger and Hagar that I just want to look at for one minute. Chapter 16, verse 13. So remember what the messenger just promised. He pointed to a well of water, and then he promised that she was included, that she, the slave, was included in the story that God was writing. Before we look at this, I I just want you to, to know, maybe you feel insignificant. Maybe you feel forgotten. Maybe you feel like, hey, I'm just a Now, let's face it, I don't have a big role in God's kingdom. I'm insignificant. I'm unimportant. And God writing Hagar into his story is meant to blow that thought apart. Verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord. Just notice what the text says Hagar, the slave woman, gives God a name. Isn't that rich? The slave woman, the forgotten woman, names God. So she, named, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Isn't that rich in the context of what we're all feeling right now? The God who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy, which is the well of the living one who sees me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. 11 years have passed here. And I just think it's rich that in a broken world of slavery and in the middle of this weird custom, there's one forgotten woman and God says, actually, I've been watching you. I know your life and I'm writing you into this story and I'm going to bless you more than you can possibly imagine. I wish I could teach longer on that. I can't. This brings us to number four the God who takes his time. The God who takes his time. I wish this wasn't part of the story, but it is. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, 99, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai, God Almighty, God without limitations, God with no boundaries, God of all power, God who can move into any heart and begin to move into any church, into any situation. And it's interesting, he says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Do you know why he said that? That word doesn't mean perfection. He doesn't say walk in perfection. It's basically like God saying, listen, I'm God Almighty, would you just keep your eyes on me and walk with me, trust me? I got this. Because when you took life into your own hands with Hagar, what happened? You produced an Ishmael, and I'm going to bless Ishmael, but we don't want to produce all kinds of Ishmaels running around our lives. Are you guys following the the point I'm making? All the confusion and difficulty. And we look at Abraham, and God told Abraham to trust him, to leave his family. Remember that verse that I said? Do you know what Abram did? He didn't leave his family. He took Lot, his relative, with him. He told him he was going to have a child through Sarah. And Abram almost gave Sarah away. Twice. Twice. He did not exactly have a perfected faith. And then he comes and he's discouraged and he's not hopeful. The story bleeds doubt because faith is messy. But here at this point, when God reveals himself to Abram yet again and says, I'm God Almighty, Abram does something that he's never done before. He puts his hope entirely in God and he trusts him no matter what his circumstances tell him. And I want you to turn. Well, actually, I didn't finish that, did you? Did I? I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And I want you, we're going to flip real quick to the New Testament, to Romans. Romans chapter 4. Maybe. There we go. At this point in life I love this text. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which is as good as dead. I just that makes me laugh every single time. Since he was about 100 years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb verse 20 No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God verse 21 fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. We have a God that watches over every promise he's made. It's as if God is saying, nobody's going to make me a liar. I'm going to fulfill all that I have said that I will fulfill. And there's something beautiful that happens in this story as Abraham gets older. He loses confidence in his ability to fulfill the promise. He loses confidence in himself. And with his back against the wall, it's like, well, there's no other alternative but a God who has made this ridiculous promise to me. And he grows strong in faith because of the beauty of losing confidence in himself. You know, last week I shared a few mistakes that we can make with promises. And I want to review these very quickly before I conclude here. The first is this the biggest mistake we can make with the promises of God is not claiming God's promises because they weren't written to you. No promise was written to you. Every promise that we find in the scripture was written or spoken to someone else. Even Jesus speaking to his disciples, and we claim these verses off the top of our head without thinking about it. Jesus wasn't speaking to you. He was speaking to his followers. But they're for us. So don't make the mistake of not claiming God's promises. The second mistake is this. Ignoring the context as if it was written directly to you. And I gave the example in Exodus 14, 14, where it says that God is going to fight for us, and you just have to watch. And my point is, when the building is given to us, God ain't doing the painting himself. Y'all follow that? (laughs) We need to trust God, but we also need to study context. And here's the thing that I want to say today. The third mistake is this. Giving up because it looks impossible. When my kids were little, I sometimes would say this, and please don't feel like I'm being condescending. I'm not meaning to by saying this to you, what I said to my children. Please look me in the eye right now. God wants it to look impossible. God wants us to say, but we can't. Yes, exactly. we get to my last point, the laugh of joy. This is rich. Genesis 18. Genesis 18, verse 9. They said to him, where is Sarah, your, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. Verse 10. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah Your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. So picture this. God has sent a messenger who's speaking to Abraham, and Sarah is listening in on this conversation, peering around the tent and and listening in. Next verse. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself She didn't chuckle out loud. It was just this quiet little inward thing. She laughed to herself saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, referring to Abram, that's the way they talked back then. Husbands, don't misapply this. After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Verse 13. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? I love this. Verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. And about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Verse 15, but Sarah denied it saying, I did not laugh. For she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. And the richness of this story is found in the naming of the child. In verse 21, verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Verse 2, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham, a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac, meaning laughter. God took the laughter of unbelief. God took the laughter of, I can't connect all the dots. And God said, we're naming your kid laughter because you're going to hold in your arms the fulfillment of what I said. And every time you look down at that boy or every time you walk in the doors of this new church, I just want you to remember, I thought of you, I included you in this story because I'm a really big God. Can you guys stand with us? As we move into worship, I just want to ask you to consider where you at in this story. Maybe you're like Hagar and you feel forgotten and like your life is too insignificant. It doesn't matter. God surely doesn't have a big plan for you. Some of us are like Abraham. We feel like we've been given a promise and we're learning maybe for the first time to come outside of the tent, outside of our tent theology. But my hope is that all of us will one day be like Sarah. Holding the fulfillment of God's great promise in our eyes, in our hands, with our heart full of joy, laughing because of the goodness of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we're already on the other side of this promise. We're no longer waiting and wondering what you're like. We're already on this side of a cross and a resurrection. So we can look back and say, man, God's really, really big. Through the Holy Spirit, would you enable us to have the sort of laughter of joy and expectation? Because you've already died for us. This morning, would you give our hearts real freedom? in the midst of life's anxieties. Would we honor you and trust you for being the great big God that you say you are. And so we come right now to worship you, to lift our hearts, to laugh, to sing, to remember who you are and what you've said. And we come in the
0: great name of Jesus.